Welcome back to Tay Learning. This is part two of the Kanye West Taylor Swift drama. I'm Olivia. And I'm Danny. And just like Olivia said, we hope you came straight from part one. If you have not listened to part one, leave. Go go listen to part one, come back, and then we can hang out. Okay? Literally go do your homework <laughs> because you you'll probably understand what we're talking about. We're not going to be cryptic, but this is going to be a lot more fun if you know some of the backstory. Exactly. And I know that, you know, our titles for these episodes probably have like the years. And if you're only interested in the stuff that happened in 2016, you need the context of the buildup to fully embrace the impact of what actually happened. So Mm -hmm. go listen, do your homework, come back, and then we can chat. 2009 to 2015 is kind of like riding the roller coaster up. And we are at the top of the coaster. It's 2016 and we're about to drop. Just so you know a little bit, even though you should listen to the whole episode, the last we know about where Kanye and Taylor Swift are at is they're fine. They're good. She congratulated his career. They've talked about collabing. They're Mm -hmm. happy and good and healthy. But it's February 11th, 2016. And Kanye West plays his album, the life of Pablo at the release of Yeezy season three and Yeezy, of course, his clothing line. It's huge. The life of Pablo is massive. Critics love it. It's great. But there is a song on the life of Pablo that mm-hmm. plays. Mm-hmm. The song is called Famous. Mm-hmm. And the lyric that just blew up the, the world. opening line, basically. Yes, it's very near the entrance to the song. He says, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. God damn, I made that bitch famous. I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. Why? I made that bitch famous. God damn, I made that bitch famous. This obviously just blows up because even though the album doesn't come out until three days later on valentine's day on february 14th 2016 taylor swift finds out immediately (laughs) yeah and it's again what i was saying in part one about how kanye loves that shock value that shock value sells him records so if he makes a call out to taylor swift in a negative way it's gonna get clicks because clickbait exactly and even though this was just played at the Yeezy season three release party, it goes, it just blows up in the media. That day, February 11th, TMZ releases an article saying that someone close to Taylor, that's all they said, had contacted TMZ saying that Kanye contacted Taylor last month, during which, quote, she got the joke and gave him the thumbs up to release the song with the lyric. We don't know who that close person was, probably not an actual ally of Taylor's, but that's released that day on TMZ. Yeah. Okay. So Tree made a different statement on behalf of Taylor. Tree being her, Tree being her publicist. Tree being her publicist. And she said, Kanye did not call for approval, but to ask Taylor to release his single famous on her Twitter account. She declined and cautioned him about releasing a song with such a strong misogynistic message. Taylor was never made aware of the actual lyric. I made that bitch famous. Mm -hmm. And that came out the next day. So February 12th, Mm -hmm. 2016, the life of Pablo isn't even actually released yet. And it's already got all of this. PR attention surrounding yeah, and that's it. the point yeah. like he did his job well like if we can emotionally detach the fact that like we are Taylor Swift stands and we feel bad for her he did his job well 
That was the point. We talk a lot about how Taylor Swift is a marketing genius in addition to being a musical one. And it would not be giving credit where it's due if we didn't talk about how Kanye, Kanye kind of killed the marketing on this one. And the timing was immaculate because the Grammys were on February 15th. So the day after the life of Pablo's official release, four days after that song gets heard for the first time, the Grammys that year, Taylor Swift won the most coveted award, the album of the year award for 1989. I imagine that Kanye was probably acutely aware of how popular this album was. It was just a sensational album. So there was a good chance she was going to get to go up on stage and her going up on stage. He knows Taylor at this point. They've got a longstanding history. He knows she's going to make a comment on Mm -hmm. this. So it's cheap and easy marketing. Exactly. And she does. She goes up on stage and says, I want to say to all the young women out there, there are going to be people along the way who will try to undercut your success or take credit for your accomplishments or your fame. But if you just focus on the work and you don't let those people sidetrack you someday, when you get where you're going, you'll look around and you'll know that it was you and the people who love you who put you there. Mm -hmm. That wasn't her whole speech. That's just how she wrapped it up. Yes. And it's very obviously referencing the line that Kanye had about I made that bitch famous. He's taking credit for her success and fame, even though, ironically enough, she was winning an award for her work before he got on stage and caused this massive media explosion. She was already becoming famous on her own. June 2016, Kim Kardashian is on the cover of GQ Gentlemen's Quarterly, and she and Kanye are married Mm -hmm. for context. Kim is asked about Taylor Swift in this article. Mm -hmm. Kim goes off. She goes off and says she totally knew that was coming out the song she wanted to all of a sudden act like she didn't she totally approved of that line i swear my husband gets so much shit for things when he was really doing proper protocol and even called to get it approved what rapper would call a girl that he was rapping about a line to get approval she totally gave the okay rick rubin was there so many respected people in the music business heard that conversation and knew i mean he's called me a bitch in songs that's just like what they say i never once think what a derogatory word how dare he (laughs) not in a million years i don't know why she just you know flipped all of a sudden it was funny because on the call with kanye taylor said When I get on the Grammy red carpet, all the media is going to think that I'm so against this. And I'll just laugh and say, the joke's on you guys. I was in on it the whole time. And I'm like, wait, but in your Grammy speech, you completely diss my husband just to play the victim again. So GQ does their due diligence and they contact Taylor's representatives for comment. And they respond, Taylor does not hold anything against Kim Kardashian as she recognizes the pressure Kim must be under and that she is only repeating what she has been told by Kanye West. However, That does not change the fact that much of what Kim is saying is incorrect. Kanye West and Taylor only spoke once on the phone while she was on vacation with her family in January of 2016 and have never spoken since. Taylor has never denied the conversation took place. It was on that phone call that Kanye West also asked her to release the song on her Twitter account, which she declined to do. Kanye West never told Taylor he was going to use the term, quote, that bitch in referencing her. A song cannot be approved if it was never heard. Kanye West was... Kanye West never played the song for Taylor Swift. Taylor heard it for the first time when everyone else did and was humiliated. Kim Kardashian's claim that Taylor and her team were aware of being recorded is not true. And Taylor cannot understand why Kanye West, now Kim Kardashian, will not just leave her alone. I just want to point out that, like, I think it's sad how 
in rap culture, it's just a norm to be derogatory toward women. Because Kim's saying he's called me a bitch in his songs. Like he didn't mean it like that. That's just what they say. Why do they have to say that? I'd be so mad if Kaz called me a bitch out and about. And there is part of me that does feel bad for Kim Kardashian in a lot of ways, particularly knowing what we know about Kanye. Mm -hmm. But Taylor's rep even says that. Taylor does not hold anything against Kim Kardashian as she realizes the pressure Kim's under. Yeah, I mean, if I were Kim Kardashian, I would have the same guttural response to the situation because, I mean, I'm sure we'll dive a little bit more once we talk about the actual phone call, but I can kind of see it from Kim and Kanye's perspective a little bit that they thought that they were getting permission and Taylor said X, Y, and Z. I think it was a massive miscommunication on both ends. It just did not have a very good falling out. That same month, June 25th, 2016, the music video to Famous comes out. This music video features a bunch of naked celebrities like Donald Trump is in there. But right next to Kanye is a wax figure of a naked Taylor Swift. Mm -hmm. And this is where I feel like he really crossed the line. I think the song itself, like, yeah, is jarring. He called her that bitch and like is trying to take advantage or trying to take credit of Taylor's fame, but this is where I feel like it's unforgivable. When I first saw the famous music video, I was shocked because Mm -hmm. it felt so jarringly inappropriate to me. And not just because it was Taylor Swift, doing a music video where there are wax figures of a bunch of naked people that are actual human beings, Mm -hmm. I was shook. Rihanna and Chris Brown right next to each other. This is like after Chris Brown has like beat Rihanna and he put naked wax figures of them next to each other in this massive bed full of all these other naked celebrities. It's just very, very insensitive and crude. And again, it's him doing things for shock value. It's all shock value. This music video goes viral. It's wildly controversial and (laughs) not received well. Something that happens in the middle of all this, though, July 13th, 2016, news breaks that Taylor Swift wrote, This is What You Came For. Calvin writes, I wrote the music, produced the song, arranged it, and cut the vocals, though. And initially, she wanted to keep it secret, hence the pseudonym. Hurtful to me at this point that her and her team would go so far out of their way to try to make me look bad at this stage, though, with a confused emoji. And the reason that this is important is because a Twitter user posted an animated GIF of Joe Jonas with the caption, providing some quality entertainment at the hashtag Taylor Swift is over party. Reddit slash out of the loop goes blowing up about all this backstory about why Taylor Swift is over. And it just, it's the end of it. Like, yeah, if you look at Google search stats, Taylor Swift is over blows up on Twitter right then. And so that just adds fuel to the fire of what's happening with her and Kimye as well. And for Taylor, who is somebody who is deeply insecure and, would feel better about herself when she received praise and would receive applause from audiences who was so hurt when she assumed people were booing her and not Kanye. When this is trending on Twitter, she felt awful. The next day, 
July 14th, 2016. Just everything's going to shit for Taylor. In an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Kim went ahead and talked about what happened with Kourtney Kardashian and said that Taylor's Grammy speech was just another way to play the victim. And it definitely got her a lot of attention the first time and revealed in an ITM to the camera, people are blatantly treating my husband a certain way and trying to make him look a certain way. So Keeping Up with the Kardashians finally catches up to the narrative that Kim had been talking about in around the time of the GQ interview. Yep. Two days later, July 17th, 2016. Again, this is a rough <laughs> week for Taylor Swift. Kim Kardashian posts the entire recorded conversation between Kanye and Taylor on her Snapchat. Mm-hmm. I say entire. We know now it wasn't the entire, but we did not know that then. Right. It was snippets just because of the nature of Snapchat at the time. Mm-hmm. In the clip, Kanye asked Taylor for input on a certain set of lyrics, which was the, I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex. She went ahead and responded, go with whatever line you think is better. It's obviously very tongue in cheek either way. And I really appreciate you telling me about it. That's really nice. Which I think she meant. I don't think that was her being backhanded. No, I think she genuinely was happy that he called her and she didn't realize that she only got part of the lyrics. (laughs) exactly and also if this conversation happened in 2016 the life of pablo had been recorded mixed produced it was ready for release at this point she was aware what could she have done exactly and her saying it's very tongue-in-cheek like i remember back in when this was happening in 2016 i was very disconnected from taylor but i didn't hate taylor and i remember when this video came out i was listening to it and i could kind of feel the hesitation in her voice but like she still verbally agreed to it. So it didn't look good for her. It really, really didn't. And I was, we talked about this in our personal Swifty Journeys episode. 2016 was a really nightmarish year for me. It was very hard for me to get through. And during this time in particular, I just didn't have the mental bandwidth. All I knew as an outsider was this does not look good for Taylor. And I was living in Melbourne, Australia at the time and a massive wall billboard was painted with taylor swift's face saying 1989 to 2016 like r.i.p taylor so the world did finally turn against her the way that she thought they did in 2009 it was happening her worst nightmare was happening exactly taylor quickly drops a response that same day july 17th 2016 it was the same evening as the snapchat exposure Mm mm-hmm Taylor went ahead and went on Instagram and made one of the most like memeable things of all time. I know, even to this day. <laughs> even to this day. And this is like a phone note that she quickly typed out on her iPhone, took a screenshot of and posted on Instagram. She posted on Twitter, on Instagram, it's everywhere. And it's captioned, that moment when Kanye West secretly records your phone call, then Kim posted on the internet. And the note says, Where is the video of Kanye telling me he was going to call me that bitch in his song? It doesn't exist because it never happened. You don't get to control someone's emotional response to being called that bitch in front of the entire world. Of course I wanted to like the song. I wanted to believe Kanye when he told me I would love the song. I wanted us to have a friendly relationship. He promised to play the song for me, but he never did. While I wanted to be supportive of Kanye on the phone call, you cannot approve of a song you have not heard. Being falsely painted as a liar when I was never given the full story or played any part of the song is character assassination. I would very much like to be excluded from this narrative, one that I have never asked to be a part of since 2009. Yep. 
that's the one. That last line. <laughs> I would very to... much like to be excluded from this narrative. <laughs> oh, mean. But there's like buzzing articles saying, how do you use this line in your daily life? When, oh, my God. When you're trying to avoid work, when you're trying to break up with somebody, like it becomes so heavily memed. And I wonder... I wonder if she sent that off to anybody for proof or if she did just write it, screenshot it, post it and say, I'm fucking done. I'm done. I feel like she did because, I mean, maybe she did get it approved by PR. But what PR rep would approve the the moment when Kanye West secretly records your phone call that Kim posted on the Internet? It doesn't look good because she mentions this in her blurb about how she was unaware that he was going to call her that bitch but even as like a casual listener at that time who did not have the emotional investment in what was going on I was like okay this feels like she's looking for anything to make it look like she's the victim and now that again that I know more that wasn't Mm -hmm. the best take but didn't look good this was not a good response to what happened yeah and I feel like this just is adding fuel to the fire it was bad timing I think she probably should have let it breathe a little bit and then come to it but posting it the same day was just was too much it was totally an emotional response and that makes it valid like of course she's gonna have an emotional response to the situation because I would but god can you imagine like being so upset over something on this large scale this is like bigger than anything that you and I Danny have ever dealt with in any of our character assassination arcs in our life because everyone can relate to that people saying things that aren't true about you but this is a much much larger scale and could you imagine in your response to try and denounce the wrong things that are being said about you it just gets turned into a meme and people laugh at it horribly embarrassing and it it really didn't look good for her at the time she kept quiet after the famous music video I was surprised that this was like the breaking point I guess but it was a valid one July 18th, 2016. This is the next day. It's International Snake Day. Yeah. You didn't notice the rise of a snake is kind of the title of this episode. Mm. Kim Kardashian specifically tweets, wait, it's legit National Snake Day? They have holidays for everybody. I mean, everything these days with a ton of snake emojis. And this prompts thousands of comments on Taylor Swift's social media of just snake emojis. Mm-hmm. By like Kanye, Kim supporters, or neutral parties who just were waiting for a bandwagon to jump on the hating Taylor Swift train. Mm-hmm. This was their in. And hashtag Taylor Swift is over party is still just the biggest hashtag in the world. And as Taylor says in the Miss Americana documentary, do you know how many millions of people have to be tweeting that they hate you in order for that to be the number one worldwide trend? It was the perfect outlet for people's misogyny in 2016. Like it wasn't about Taylor Swift. It was about hating successful women. It was an easy bandwagon to jump on. Very easy to the point where I I consider myself like a casual fan during the 1989 era. I liked her music, but I, I wasn't in love. I only knew her singles, even though I had the CD, I only listened to the CD like one time all the way through and it didn't captivate me. So I was a casual Swifty at that point. I didn't even consider myself a Swifty, but even I was a little off put as someone who didn't hate her. Yeah, I was a very neutral party because again, I I didn't focus on pop culture at all. I cannot emphasize enough that I too much was going on in my life for me to put any focus into something that didn't have to do with me, quite frankly, at this time in the summer of 16. So yeah, 
And for me, when I like watch the videos, I was just like, Taylor Swift is in another feud. (laughs) And I just kind of moved on. I, you know, I didn't actively participate in the hate, but I wasn't heavily involved enough in her life to be able to defend her. I do remember seeing the giant Taylor Swift is over like 1989 to 2016 billboard. It's burned into like my brain because a photo of it ended up going viral. Yeah. And I was shocked because I was like, is this really the end of Taylor Swift? It can't be. She's been so like just there for so long in culture. This can't be the end. But Taylor Swift herself decided to take a step back and become a very private individual. At the Met Gala in 2016, she met Joe Alwyn, Mm -hmm. who she's still dating to this day. But he was, from our understanding, a great source of comfort for her during this very hard time. She says it in her song, Delicate, my reputation's never been worse, so he must Mm -hmm. like me for me. They sing for the best. My reputation's never been worse, so he must like me for me. And they became very close, and she used this time to back away from the spotlight entirely. She cleansed her social medias at some point, and she ran off to England and was just quiet for a year, developing herself personally and her relationship with Joe. Yeah, and then a small detail from 2016. In August of 2016, so after all this drama went down, Taylor wrote in her journal that was released as a lover journal, this summer is the apocalypse, period, end of journal entry. I feel like it's <laughs> Cruel Summer, which is my favorite song on Lover and a lot of people's favorite song on Lover. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cruel Summer is 2016. It's devastating because like, it's such a happy pop fun song and Mm. it's like this reliance of this or this feeling of love and this blooming happy relationship and also this feeling that every other part of your life is just being deconstructed and burned. I'm so happy that she found Joe when she did. Might have saved her. I don't think she ever would have come back to music had she not had the chance to heal like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And he was that source for her and that's amazing and Other people shouldn't be medicine, but the fact that he was able to be that person for her, Mm -hmm. forever grateful. In August of 2017, so it's been over a year now, she has gone radio silent. She's been out of the media for a long time at this point in the grand scheme of pop culture. Like she said in Miss Americana, nobody saw me for a whole year. Nobody physically saw me for a year. Nobody physically saw me. I I say that all the time, and no one knows what I'm quoting. And like, what are you talking about? I'm like, never mind. Um, <laughs> drops one of unfortunately one of my least favorite Taylor Swift songs of all time. But now that I'm older, I do think it's camp, and I like it more now than I did. Yes. Look, look what you made me do. Oh, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Look what you just made me do. Look what you just made me. I had the same initial response as you, I think, because. I mean, I was so disconnected. I didn't even notice that she was gone for a year. I didn't really notice the hate on Taylor Swift during this time. Like, I I knew that she had this drama with Kanye and Kim, but like, I didn't realize the extent of what was going on in her career and her life at the time. I was focused on my life and whatever. But when Look What You Made Me Do came out, with that being said, I didn't have context for 
why this song was her lead single and why she even wrote this song. So when it came out, it was just so bitter, which it is. It's bitter. It's very bitter. And it's for a point, though. And I just didn't know the point. Yeah, it was definitely a means to an end. And I was so worried when I heard that song because I'm like, please tell me this is not the new Taylor Swift genre. And it doesn't represent the entire album at all in the same way that I feel like me didn't really represent Lover as an album. I promise that you'll never find another like me. Reputation, as we've talked about, is essentially just this beautiful love album that is wrapped in armor. Look what mm-hmm. you made me do didn't paint that at all. It came off as this bitter, angry revenge song. And I was personally, as again, as, as a casual fan, as someone who was like entering my senior year of college and very distracted, I was yeah. like, this is fucking annoying. I'm done yeah. with this drama. I'm done. I will say, though, she kind of tapped into some Kanye West style marketing. Like the whole point was shock value and ticket people to listen to it she played on the drama that happened in 2016 to get listens and to get views on the music video and you've even pointed out and I'm sure we'll talk more in depth about it when we hit a reputation deep dive but a lot of her song titles are kind of clickbaity they are they're intended to get you to listen because people love drama and Mm -hmm. look what you made me do music video which I think is still maybe the most expensive video ever made it was ridiculously yeah prohibitively expensive my favorite music video of hers it's a great (laughs) music video the music video is full of easter eggs that we will get into when we do the deep dive so so many like we're talking stop the frame every second (laughs) easter eggs (laughs) she spent a lot of time mentally like developing this and she dropped Mm -hmm. that video ironically at the vmas where it all started on august 28 2017 a source that's close to kimye tells people magazine kim and kanye don't care about taylor's new music they find it pathetic that she still tries to keep an old feud going they are not going to give her or her new music any attention they have more important things to focus on like their family what the heck they're so hypocritical that's literally what Kanye West did with his song famous entirely hypocritical but that was the official statement from them Taylor Swift begins leaning into the snake aesthetic that they painted on her Mm -hmm. before we jump into November of 2017 when reputation comes out we as always have to do a thank you to the platform that makes this podcast possible So November 10th, 2017, Reputation comes out. Reputation, because of the way that it was like built up, looks like it's going to be all around this incredibly bitter album that's about Mm -hmm. Kim and Kanye. It's not, but the titles of the songs look super clickbaity. Like, don't blame me. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of like lines in the songs too that stick out like a sore thumb. And for me, when I first listened to Reputation, those were the lines I took away because those are the lines I understood the context of. Even if I didn't understand the intricate details, I knew that it was referencing like her drama. Like, I swear I don't love the drama. It loves me. Like, I did not like that line at all when I first listened to it. I took it as, ew, like. I hated the... The, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now because she's dead. I'm sorry. The old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh. Because she's dead. 
I really didn't like that. I still don't Mm -hmm. love that. I know that that's part of look what you made me do. (laughs) Or this is why we can't have nice things. It just felt like a very juvenile song to me when I first listened to it because I didn't understand. This is why we can't have nice Mm -hmm. Although if we're going to talk about like direct references to the Kimye drama, this is why Mm -hmm. we can't have nice things definitely seems like the most direct. There is an incredibly telling lyric in the second verse. It says, it was so nice being friends again. There I was giving you a second chance, but then you stabbed my back while shaking my hand. And therein lies the issue. Friends don't try to trick you, get you on the phone and mind twist you. Yep. Not only that, but there's a point in the song where she says a toast to my real friends. And Real Friends is a song on Kanye's The Life of Pablo. (laughs) I didn't know that. I like that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think one of my favorite Kimye or Kanye references is in Look What You Made Me Do. I don't like your tilted stage because when he toured that album, he literally performed on a tilted stage. And so like at his concerts, when he would sing the line, I think me and Taylor might still have sex. Why I made that bitch famous. His crowd would chant, fuck Taylor Swift and the casual fan base. We weren't ready for that album. Hardcore Swifties who paid attention to her life during this, all of this time and Um, never faltered at her side because they knew the details because they made a point to understand all the details they were ready for this album but I don't think this album was very palatable for people who didn't understand the intricacies of her life the reputation tour comes around the next year which as we know now is like one of the highest grossing tours of all time incredibly well done tour there is like the movie version of it on netflix during the opening night of the reputation tour when she was in arizona she said a couple of years ago someone called me a snake on social media and it caught on I went through some times when I didn't know if I was going to get to do this anymore. I wanted to send a message to you guys that if someone uses name calling to bully you on social media, and even if a lot of people jump on board with it, it doesn't have to defeat you. It can strengthen you instead. And Taylor Swift used a massive, comically large snake as part (laughs) of her set during the reputation tour. And snakes were like the symbol of reputation when she posted for the first time after scrubbing her social media clean of anything she ever posted before you can't find anything pre like august 2017 on taylor swift's social media across the board and what she came up with was this very ambiguous video of a snake Mm -hmm. that was what she posted with no caption she just posted it uh, it it rocked pop culture i remember seeing that and i was shook to my core and i was like a casual not even like really a fan, just a person. I yeah, like, oh. I was unfortunately so casual that I did not know any of this. <laughs> I saw it on Instagram because I followed her and it popped up at the top of my feed. And I was like, what the hell does this mean? Definitely shade, but we'll see. And I think that it was a marketing, like it was a genius marketing tactic to lean into yeah. the snake thing. Did look bitter. I think it was kind of hot. Like it was really, if people are going to call me a snake, okay, then I'll be one. In retrospect, I think it was amazing. This is coming from a crazy Swifty now. I think it was amazing. At the time, I was way too casual, way too disconnected for it to have a positive impact on me. I rolled my eyes at it like, 
of course, you know, uh, why can't she just like rise above the drama? Well, she tried to do that, but I didn't know that. So that's on me. She tried that tactic. It didn't work. So she tried something else and that was fully leaning into it. And it did work because the Reputation Stadium tour, insane. I'm so jealous of the people that got to go to that tour. My sister Kate sent me videos of her four years since the other day on Snapchat. It was so beautiful. And even though there was like snake stuff everywhere, I mean, she made it her aesthetic, but she was like a snake in love. Exactly. (laughs) Just to give another understanding, a layer of understanding of how much she really leaned into the snake thing. Much later, when she did enter her lover era, she opened up the music video of me with a snake slithering up into the mm-hmm. camera. And as it struck, the snake turned into butterflies. I loved that. Loved. It was the <laughs> perfect, the yes. perfect way to say this era is over. We're entering a new one. Mm-hmm. Of love. Of Just plain lo- love. <laughs> of love that is a lot more vulnerable. And less quick to strike. <laughs> there wasn't really any commentary from Kimye on her tour. I don't think that they publicly gave a shit, honestly. I think yeah. the best revenge is living well. My mother always says that. And she was living her very best life at the time. She was still happily yeah. with Joe. Her tour was killing it. She was sexy. Like, she looked great. She looked so good. <laughs> she was happy and healthy. It's January 14th, 2018. And during an appearance on Watch What Happens Live, Kim Kardashian tells Andy Cohen that her beef with Taylor Swift is done. She says, I feel like we've all moved on. And shortly after, Kim said that she was making peace with Taylor by sharing a video of herself listening to the song Delicate from Reputation on her Snapchat. And I feel like this whole, like, even though that's a very small snippet of like an interview, like over at, I think we've all moved on, I think just shows how little impact Kim and Kanye both realized that they had on somebody else. That's how like consumed in their own life that they are, that they didn't realize what, how they put Taylor through. I also feel like, and Taylor's rep kind of said this when talking about Kim Kardashian's response to this, Kanye West is a narcissist, like textbook narcissist Mm -hmm. and was with Kim and she was incredibly defensive of him as anyone would be of their spouse. And she was receiving the narrative that Kanye was giving her and being married to a narcissist from my understanding as someone who has never been married to a narcissist it's Mm -hmm. a challenging thing to get out from under their spell so it's possible especially as Kim and Kanye began to kind of split we'll get there but as they Mm -hmm. began to show divides in their relationship she might have become more aware of Taylor Swift's side and again kind of building on what I was saying with Kim's response and them not understanding the gravity of the situation from Taylor's point of view I do kind of to an extent understand or at least I can see Kim and Kanye's perspective of this phone call and the event that happened with the famous lyric and Taylor's response to it because in Taylor's culture being called a bitch is bad and that's rude and that's something you don't do And we can relate to that because our culture is pretty similar, but in the rapping culture, that's just how you talk about women, even if you don't dislike them, you know? And so I kind of feel like maybe Kanye didn't mention that line because he didn't think it would be a big deal. He genuinely didn't think it'd be a big deal. He calls his wife a bitch and she doesn't make it a big deal. So to him, I can kind of see and understand 
why maybe that like didn't cross his mind to mention to her. I feel like too, he probably genuinely believed that he made Taylor Swift famous with him interrupting her because he probably didn't really know about her until then. And so to him, the line that he wanted to run by her was, I think me and Taylor might still have sex because that could be like, ooh. So yeah, kind of from his point of view, I I can kind of see it. But at the same time, I do 100% understand Taylor's point of view. And I get how from Kim's point of view, it seems like on the phone, Taylor agreed to it. So this kind of goes along with what I said earlier in either either this part or part one about how I think this was at its core a massive misunderstanding but at the same time it's also Kanye not considering Taylor's feelings I completely agree with you and that's a really good point that I hadn't really thought about was that bitch isn't really a bad thing in some cultures and in some music scenes and I hadn't really given that a whole lot of thought so yeah good point massive miscommunication that they both honestly profited off of and used as marketing and benefited from as well as suffered from. Definitely. In March of 2019, it's seen that Taylor is reigniting the feud. I don't really see it that way. But when asked about them, she responds, in my experience, I've come to see that bullies want to be feared and taken seriously. A few years ago, someone started an online hate campaign by calling me a snake on the internet. The fact that so many people jumped on board with it led me to feeling lower than I've ever felt in my life. Mm -hmm. And that was in the April issue of Elle magazine. Some people publicly didn't take well to her reigniting it, quote unquote, by calling them bullies, but she didn't call them out directly. And she's talking Mm -hmm. about this pivotal experience for her that completely changed the way she viewed herself, the way she was viewed in the media and her musical style. And it's important to note that she didn't take any interviews during the reputation era on purpose because she wanted the reputation album to kind of speak for itself. She didn't want the interviews because she knew that the interviews would be all about, oh my God, Kanye West, Kim Kardashian. So she did not do any interviews whatsoever. Like she said in the ending of her forward to the reputation album, there will be no further explanation. There will just be reputation. That's what she wanted it was dramatic and awesome but like she didn't want to do any interviews so now of course people are taking advantage of her interviewing and asking her about the situation yep the fact that she's finally opening up and at this point it's because in early 2019 lover had already been being developed Mm -hmm. so it was easier for her to transition to talking about it then in june of 2019 taylor makes a post on tumblr about her masters being sold to Scooter Braun, and she references the 2016 phone call. She says, I learned about Scooter Braun's purchase of my masters as it was announced to the world. All I could think about was the incessant manipulative bullying I've received at his hands for years, like when Kim Kardashian orchestrated an illegally recorded snippet of a phone call to be leaked and then Scooter got his two clients together to bully me online about it, referencing a Justin Bieber post. Um, He like was on a FaceTime with Scooter and they were like looking happy and celebrating. This is right after Kim released those snippets on Snapchat and his caption was Taylor, what's good. And then she continues, or when his client Kanye West, because that's an important note, Scooter Braun was Kanye's manager. 
or when his client Kanye West organized a revenge porn music video, which strips my body naked. Now Scooter has stripped me of my life's work that I wasn't given an opportunity to buy. Essentially, my music legacy is about to lie in the hands of someone who tried to dismantle it. Yeah, that didn't look great. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, this is all going back to the master's controversy, which we do detail in the master's controversy part one and part two. Mm -hmm. She's already building up at this point to release her first owned album that she herself owns in Lover. Ten days prior to the release of Lover, so August 13th, 2019, Taylor Swift decides to open up to Vogue a little bit more about how the canceling of her by Kim Kardashian Mm -hmm. changed her life and says, quote, a mass public shaming with millions of people saying you are quote unquote canceled is a very isolating experience. I don't think that there are many people who can actually understand what it's like to have millions of people hate you very loudly. When you say someone is canceled, it's not a TV show. It's a human being. You're sending mass amounts of messaging to this person to either shut up, Mm -hmm. disappear, or it could also be perceived as kill yourself. Yep. After that, she says that the canceling impacted her entire life, every facet of it, and said that it encouraged her to create reputation, saying, I realized I needed to restructure my life because it felt completely out of control. I knew immediately I needed to make music about it because it was the only way I knew how I could survive it. It was the only way I could preserve my mental health and also tell the story of what it's like going through something so humiliating. And I know you're excited about this one. In September of 2019, Taylor finally opens up and tells her entire side of the story in a wildly revealing interview with Rolling Stone. This interview, I think, is very important in that it details exactly how she was feeling and gives us a little more context to some of the stuff that happened between her and Kanye even before that phone call. So bear with me. I'm going to read you a lot of what she says because literally she answered in like paragraphs to some of these questions. So just bear with me. Hang on tight. It's worth it, I swear. Rolling Stone leads with, when we talked seven years ago, everything was going so well for you. You were very worried that something would go wrong. She answers, yeah, I kind of knew that it would. I felt like I was walking along the sidewalk, knowing eventually the pavement was going to crumble and I was going to fall through. You can't keep winning and have people like it. People love new so much. They raise you up on the flagpole and you're waving at the top of the flagpole for a while. Then they're like, wait, this new flag is actually what we love. They decide something you're doing is incorrect and that you're not standing for what you should stand for. You're a bad example. Then if you keep making music and you survive and you keep connecting with people, eventually they raise you a little bit up the flagpole again, and then they take you back down and back up again. And it happens to women more than it happens to men in music. Rolling Stone asks, it also happened to you a few times on a smaller scale, didn't it? And she answers, I've had several upheavals in my career. When I was 18, they were like, she doesn't really write those songs. So my third album, I wrote by myself as a reaction to that. Then they decided I was a serial dater, a boy crazy man eater when I was 22. And so I didn't date anyone for like two years. And then they decided in 2016 that absolutely everything about me was wrong. If I did something good, it was for the wrong reasons. If I did something brave, I didn't do it correctly. If I stood up for myself, I was throwing a tantrum. And so I found myself in this endless mockery echo chamber. It was like 
you know, I have a brother who's two and a half years younger and we spent the first half of our lives trying to kill each other and the second half as best friends. You know that game kids play? I'd be like, mom, can I have some water? And Austin would be like, mom, can I have some water? And I'm like, he's copying me. And then he'd be like, he's copying me. Always in a really obnoxious voice that sounded all twisted. That's what it felt like in 2016. So I decided to just say nothing. It wasn't really a decision. It was completely involuntary. And Rolling Stone says, you once sang about a star who took the money and your dignity and got the hell out, referencing the lucky one. In 2016, you wrote in your journal, this summer is the apocalypse. How close did you come to quitting altogether? And she answers, I definitely thought about that a lot. I thought about how words are my only way of making sense of the world and expressing myself. And now any words I say or write are being twisted against me. People love a hate frenzy. It's like piranhas. People had so much fun hating me and they didn't really need many reasons to do it. It felt like the situation was pretty hopeless. I wrote a lot of really aggressively bitter poems constantly. I wrote a lot of think pieces that I knew I'd never publish about what it's like to feel like you're in a shame spiral. And I couldn't figure out how to learn from it because I wasn't sure exactly what I did that was so wrong. That was really hard for me because I cannot stand it when people can't take criticism. So I try to self-examine. And even though that's really hard and hurts and hurts a lot sometimes, I really try to understand where people are coming from when they don't like me. And I completely get why people wouldn't like me because you know, I've had my insecurities say those exact things and things 1000 times worse. And Rolling Stone says, but some of your former critics have become your friends, right? And she answers, some of my best friendships came from people publicly criticizing me and then opening it up in a conversation. Like Lord, the first thing she ever said about me publicly was a criticism of my image or whatever, but I can't really respond to someone saying you as a human being are being fake. And if they say you're playing the victim, that completely undermines your ability to ever verbalize how you feel unless it's positive. So, okay, should I just smile all the time and never say anything hurts me? Because that's really fake. Or should I be real about how I'm feeling and have valid, legitimate responses to things that happened in my life? But wait, would that be playing the victim? Mm. So clearly she kind of felt like she was in this trap where she couldn't say anything to defend herself because no matter what she said, it was just going to be twisted against her. It was so going to be wrong. The no matter why she was like, okay, fine, then I won't say anything. Yeah, no matter what she said, it was going to be wrong. And Rolling Stone asked, how do you escape that mental trap? And she says... Since I was 15 years old, if people criticized me for something, I changed it. So you realize you might be this amalgamation of criticisms that were hurled at you and not an actual person who's made any of these choices themselves. And so I decided I needed to live a quiet life because a quiet personal life invites no discussion, dissection, and debate. I didn't realize I was inviting people to feel like they had a right to sort of play my life like a video game. Rolling Stone follows up with, the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. Why? Because she's dead. Was funny. But how seriously should we have taken it? And she replies, there's a part of me that definitely is always going to be different. I needed to grow up in many ways. I needed to make boundaries to figure out what was mine and what was the public's. That old version of me that shares unfailingly and unblinkingly with a world that is probably not fit to be shared with. I think that's gone. But it was definitely just like a fun moment in the studio with me and Jack Antonoff. 
where I wanted to play on the idea of a phone call because that's how this all started. A stupid phone call I shouldn't have picked up. And Rolling Stone asks, did you do anything wrong from your perspective in dealing with that phone call? Is there anything you regret? And hang on tight. This is a long one. She said, the world didn't understand the context and the events that led up to it because nothing ever just happens like that without some lead up. Some events took place to cause me to be pissed off when he called me a bitch. This was not just a singular event. Basically, I got really sick of the dynamic between him and I, and that wasn't just based on what happened with that phone call and with that song. It was kind of a chain reaction of things. I started to feel like we reconnected, which felt great for me, because all I ever wanted my whole career after that thing that happened in 2009 was for him to respect me. When someone doesn't respect you so loudly and says you literally don't deserve to be here, I just felt so badly that I wanted the respect from him. And I hate that about myself. And that I was like, this guy who's antagonizing me, I just want his approval. But that's where I was. And so we'd go to dinner and stuff. And I was so happy because he would say really nice things about my music. It just felt like I was healing some childhood rejection or something from when I was 19. But the 2015 VMAs come around. He's getting the Vanguard Award. He called me beforehand, before the award ceremony, and I didn't illegally record it, so I can't play it for you. But he called me up maybe a week or so before the event, and we had maybe over an hour-long conversation, and he's like, hey, I really, really would like for you to present this Vanguard Award to me. This would mean so much to me. And went into all the reasons why it would mean so much, because he can be so sweet. He can be the sweetest. And I was so stoked that he asked me that. So I wrote up the speech and then I get to the VMAs and I make the speech and he screams, you know how many times they announced Taylor was going to give me this award because it got them more ratings. And I'm standing in the audience with my arm around his wife and this chill ran through my body. I realized that he is so two-faced, that he wants to be nice to me behind the scenes, but then he wants to look cool, get up in front of everyone and talk shit. And I was so upset. He wanted me to come talk to him after the event in his dressing room and I wouldn't go. So then he sent this big, big thing of flowers the next day to apologize. And I was like, you know what? I really don't want us to be on bad terms again. So whatever, I'm just going to move past this. So when he gets on the phone with me and I was so touched that he'd be respectful and like, tell me about this one line in the song. I was like, okay, good. We're back on good terms. And then when I heard the song, I was like, I'm done with this. If you want to be on bad terms, let's be on bad terms, but just be real about it. And then he literally did the same thing to Drake. He gravely affected the traje trajectory of Drake's family and their lives. It's the same thing, getting close to you, earning your trust, detonating you. I really don't want to talk about it anymore because I get worked up and I don't just want to talk about this all day, but it's the same thing. Damn, you're right. That was a hell of a line. Um, if you didn't catch that and you're listening, then I'll break it down for you. The thing that Olivia was alluding to at the end of the last episode, the thing that sent the chill down mm -hmm. her spine was when he was two-faced. He went on stage and was like, this was all set up. So when they, he literally set it up himself. He asked her, <laughs> and he never denied that claim, by the way. So again, he's a marketing genius. I will give credit where it is due. And Kanye West is really, really good at marketing and at making it so people want to watch he is a walking clickbait article i get it but i would also be upset if i were her she wants to be nice she wants to be friends kanye west doesn't give a fuck about taylor swift he doesn't want to be no. friends with her it was all about 
maintaining a close enough relationship with her to keep having these snide in public remarks and back and forth drama because that's what got him attention. Yeah. He didn't want to be friends with her. She respected him and really wanted to be friends with him because of her personal attachment to college dropout and to him as an artist. When the truth of the matter is Kanye West couldn't give less of a fuck about Taylor Swift. He cares about himself and his image. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it works. And Yeah. And I think that that story that she told right then and there really shows that their issues are way deeper than him calling her that bitch and claiming that he made her famous. Exactly. It ran deep. Mm-hmm. And later that year, Kanye West releases his album, Jesus is King. And that same week, Kim Kardashian posts that she's listening to Lover. And that was when <laughs> Jesus is King had just come out. So that feels kind of shady. Exactly. <laughs> March 20th, 2020. First of all, the pandemic has just begun. So things are kind of a bummer everywhere. But RIP. somebody leaked the entire full phone call from 2016. Oh, yeah. Yep. A YouTube account leaked a supposedly unedited version of the call between, well, Taylor, Kanye, and also Kim recording it in the background. And Kanye does run certain specifically chosen lyrics by Taylor over the phone, but notably does not ask for her approval on the now infamous line, I made that bitch famous. Again, we talked Mm -hmm. about how the word bitch and its usage and culture is different, so he might not have thought it was important. Yeah. That corroborates her story that he didn't check the entire song with her. Exactly. Uh, And he he never played it for her either. Did not play it for her. And he does ask her in this video, which she said, or her rep said, that he asks her to share it on Twitter as a promotion. And she responds very hesitantly saying, I guess it would just be, people would be like, why is this happening? And I had something to do with it probably. Later in the call, Kanye runs another lyric idea by Taylor, which we kind of referenced earlier, where he says, what if I say, I made you famous? He asks. She doesn't really sound comfortable. And then she responds, did you say that? Oh, God. Well, what am I going to do about it at this point? It's kind of just like whatever at this point. But I mean, you got to tell the story the way it happened to you and the way you experienced it. You honestly didn't know who I was before that. It doesn't matter if I sold 7 million of that album before you did that, which is what happened. Didn't know who I was before that. And that's fine. Yeah. Can't wait to hear it. And her being like, it doesn't matter that I did X, Y, and Z before that was her like being a little defensive you could tell that she was not comfortable (laughs) yeah she did not like it and she does talk about what we spoke about earlier that he genuinely did not know who she was somehow at this point in 20 yeah in 2009 I can kind of see it's Kanye West and he's very much about him and that's it Mm -hmm. again narcissist and Beyonce apparently (laughs) (laughs) yeah three days later March 23rd 2020 Taylor finally comments on the leaking of the phone call She comments on her Instagram by making two stories and it says, instead of answering those who are asking how I feel about the video footage that leaked, proving that I was telling the truth the whole time about that call, you know, the one that was illegally recorded that somebody edited and manipulated in order to frame me and put me, my family and fans through hell for four years. Swipe up to see what really matters. And then the next story says, the World Health Organization and Feeding America are some of the organizations I've been donating to. If you have the ability to, please join me in donating during this crisis, swipe up. And when you swipe up on the story, it takes you to the pages of charitable organizations. So she was taking this negative attention she was receiving during this time and redirecting it towards the charities who were really helping out the world 
particularly at the beginning of the pandemic. And that's pretty peak Taylor Swift. On March 23rd, 2020, the same day, Kim comments on the feud for (laughs) the last time. Shortly after Taylor shared that on her Instagram story, Kim went to Twitter and said at Taylor Swift 13 has chosen to reignite an old exchange through her publicist who stated that Kanye never asked for permission. Kanye, as an artist, has every right to document his musical journey and process, just like Taylor recently did through her documentary, Miss Americana. She signed off by tweeting, this will be the last time I speak on this, because honestly, nobody cares. Sorry to bore you all with this. I know you are all dealing with more important and serious matters. Sorry to bore you all with this, as if the internet didn't eat that shit up. They ate that Come shit on, Kim, up. You know better. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um... Vaguely related, on January 5th, 2021, Kim and Kanye split. On February 19th, 2021, Kim and Kanye filed for divorce. After Kim went on to Twitter and, like, put Taylor on blast, Tree did respond, Tree being her publicist, saying Kanye did not call her for approval, but to ask Taylor to release his single Famous on her Twitter account. She declined and cautioned him about releasing a song with such a strong, misogynistic message. Taylor was never made aware of the actual lyric, I made that bitch famous, which is the exact same narrative that was said in 2016. (laughs) This has never changed. Her story has never changed from the beginning. Nope. So when Tree shared that statement, it was like a photo on Twitter. And the like actual tweet said was a response to Kim's tweet. And it said, I'm Taylor's publicist. And this is my unedited original statement. By the way, when you take parts out, that's editing. P.S. Who did you guys piss off to leak that video? LOL. Okay, that's pretty good. (laughs) Damn. December 16th, 2021. We're back to Kim Kardashian, who said that she wasn't going to talk about this anymore, but here we are. Actually, she doesn't talk about it. That's just me being shitty. She's asked in an interview, what's your favorite Taylor Swift album? And Kim responds very politely and says, I really like a lot of her songs. They're all super cute and catchy. I'd have to look in my phone to get a name of an album. Of course, Kim and Kanye have split at this point, and she probably realized that Kanye was a narcissist. Yep. So it seems like they put all of this behind them, except that Midnight's is coming out on October 21st. And what is October 21st? Kim, Kim that- Kardashian's, Kim Kardashian's birthday. birthday. Seems kind and of And also like 13 years, which 13 is Taylor Swift's like special lucky number. 13 years after the original 2009 VMA incident, Taylor Swift announces at the VMAs where it all started that she's releasing this album about 13 sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. And you know she had many sleepless nights over everything we just covered. Hollywood Life reported from a source close to Kim that Kim is so glad that all the bad blood is behind them. And she doesn't see this in a negative way whatsoever. What happened in the past is the past. And that Kim has moved on from this a long time ago. She wishes Taylor nothing but success and happiness. And then this insider also confirmed that Kim really loves Taylor's music. (laughs) So from what I can understand, Kim Kardashian and Taylor Swift are totally fine. It probably has a lot to do with the fact that Kanye and Kim have split up Mm -hmm. and she's realized Kim, Kanye's flaws. Kanye and Taylor Swift, though, uh, I think that she doesn't care about him, doesn't care if he lives or dies. I think he probably feels the same about her. And hopefully this is the end of it. She does talk about it a little bit in Evermore, which came out in 2020, in the song Long Story Short with the lyrics, past me, I want to tell you not to get lost in these petty things. Your nemeses will defeat themselves before you get the chance to swing. Past me, 
I wanna tell you not to get lost in these petty things. Your nemesis will defeat themselves before you get the chance to swing. And that's, I think, literally referencing their divorce. <laughs> the divorce hadn't happened yet, but uh, I do think that the downfall of Kanye, with everything that happened with Kanye, twenty twenty whatever, Kanye oh twenty twenty four, and all the pro Trump that shit that ever happened. Oh my yeah, god, Kanye kind of burned himself with all that trump propaganda it was very bizarre yeah but i think it's pretty safe to say that literally taylor's publicist made that statement that taylor doesn't hold anything against kim because she understands the situation that kim was in of course kim was going to defend her husband 100 like what was kim going to do like come out in public and be like no taylor swift is right no kim wasn't going to do that like that would be ridiculous to expect her to do so but I do think it is very telling that Kim very publicly is like, no, I like Taylor's songs. Her music is really good. I think that is an olive branch for Kim Kardashian. I agree. And that is pretty much what we know of the Kimye drama, The Rise of a Snake. There's definitely little stuff scattered here and there. Again, it wasn't really important stuff. So hopefully this gives context. We'll see if any of this stuff is listed out in Midnight's. I really hope that we do get a little bit more insight to Taylor's more inner thoughts because that's always what I'm fascinated by. I mean, in the name of Tay learning, I learned that she kind of had all of this building up with Kanye before it even happened, that she had already hit her final straw with Kanye at the VMAs in 2015. It wasn't about the song Famous. It was just a pattern that kept happening over and over again from her perspective. And so I want to learn more about that. I think that's definitely in the name of Taylor learning. The thing that I learned too, there was so much deeper than just what was seen on the surface as a casual exactly. fan, a casual listener and what pop culture covered the layers to this sensational. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much here to unpack and it's exactly. brutal and it completely changed Taylor Swift as an artist, as a person and in the eye of Exactly. And, the public. and in the future of this podcast, we are going to reference these events pretty frequently because it is a major event in Taylor's life, both her career and her personal life. And as we continue to break down her songs, break down her eras, break down her albums, analyze her other relationships, a lot of that kind of ties back here. And everything that happened literally during her entire career 2009 through 2016 and even beyond that so if you ever want to come back to reference obviously do so but if you made it this far we're glad you're here and olivia tell me what we're covering next week so next week we will be covering the muses john mayer so we will do a little bit of a deep dive with her relationship with john mayer not my favorite topic in the world but you know in the name of tay learning we have to cover it all but honestly danny I hope we don't have to do that next week because I'm really hoping we get a Midnight's single and we can talk about that. I saw this theory on Twitter that she was going to release a single last week and then sadly, Queen Elizabeth passed away. It would have been incredibly insensitive. It would have been. (laughs) I'm not laughing because she's dead, just so we're clear if you're listening. That's a horrible rest in peace. But I hope that we get a single soon. (laughs) I know. I know we just recently got target involved with the meet me at midnight bullshit and they released like or announced their variant of the vinyl and of the cd and on the cd 
there are three bonus tracks, two of which are remixes, which that's annoying, but there's at least one song that isn't going to make the cut that'll be on that. We'll pick it up when I visit you in Michigan for the release. Yes, definitely. Well, for this week, my name is Danny. And I'm Olivia. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time. Hey, before we let you go, this episode was recorded on September 15th. On September 20th, Kanye West posted on his Instagram story saying, in all caps, just like Taylor Swift, my publishing is being put up for sale without my knowledge. Not for sale. Followed by a story that was a text message interaction saying, can you ask Guy who is selling my publishing? The response says, from Guy, fake news, of course every publisher wants to pitch their hardest to buy SMH. Well, we're not entirely certain what the text interaction means or why he even really felt the need to mention Taylor Swift. He did mention Taylor Swift, so if anything, this is him reigniting something. And because this came out the night before this episode's supposed to premiere, we thought it was important that we mention it. But what we think this does tell us is that this feud, these interactions, their relationship in the way that it is, is not finished and will likely continue much like this for very likely the rest of their careers. See you next week. 